You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome on this, the Tuesday of the first week of Easter. With many more days to go in Easter, Christ is risen, he is truly risen. It's a pleasure as always to have you all here. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about, as many of you are in the Easter season, you'll be going to Mass a little bit more, not as much as we did during the Tridium. But you'll be going to Mass. Some of you will be going to Mass, really, for your first Easter season ever. You're coming to the Church, and God bless you for being here. Welcome to the Catholic Church, to Orthodoxy, which is going to be one of the greatest rides you'll ever take. And so, to think about Mass, we have a selection from Romano Guardini's Meditations Before Mass. Romano Guardini, give you a little bit of background information, he is one of the most important theologians of the 20th century. He had a great impact on Pope Benedict. He also had an impact on many spiritual writers, including Flannery O'Connor, of all people. Not a spiritual writer, but a great Catholic novelist. It's a shame he's not as well known today. If people read him, they don't read him often enough. They usually read, perhaps, Spirit of the Liturgy, which Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, had redone and republished, and also had written his own commentary on it, which is also a fantastic book. And at Sophie Institute Press, they have put out a number of books from Guardini about the inner life, spirituality, and in this particular book, he's focusing on what we can do to really prepare ourselves interiorly for Mass. Uh, To give you a note, he is writing, of course, about the traditional Latin Mass. He's writing about the Mass before Vatican II, so there are some things that may not quite make sense to you if you go to the Novus Ordo, the current vernacular Mass, but I think the ideas that he's telling us about, about silence, stillness, of collecting ourselves and making ourselves interiorly and spiritually ready for the Mass are important enough. And that's why I'm going to read this today. We titled this The Stillness and Silence of Mass on Catholic Exchange. You can go there and read it. I also highly recommend that you pick up a copy of Meditations Before Mass. It is one of the better books you will ever read to really learn what Mass is and how to prepare yourselves. I like to read it right before Mass to try to read one reflection. They're usually about three pages long. And the meditations are powerful enough to kind of bring yourself more interiorly. It's a lot better, frankly, of my opinion. It's a lot better than talking or texting before Mass. And why on earth are you... Just turn off the cell phone, please, for the love of all that is good. In that spirit, I have Father Gordini, The Stillness and Silence of Mass. When Holy Mass is properly celebrated, there are moments in which the voices of both priests and faithful become silent. The priest continues to officiate as the rubrics indicate, speaking softly or refraining from vocal prayer. The congregation follows in watchful, prayerful participation. What do these intervals of quiet signify? What must we do with them? What does stillness really imply? It implies, above all, that speech end and silence prevail that no other sounds of movement, of turning of pages, of coughing, of throat clearing be audible. There is no need to exaggerate. Men live, and living things move. A forced outward conformity is no better than restlessness. Nevertheless, stillness is still, and it comes only if seriously desired. If we value it, it brings us joy. And if not, discomfort People are often heard to say, but I can't help coughing, or I can't kneel quietly. Yet once stirred by a concert or a lecture, they forget all about the coughing and the fidgeting. 
That stillness proper to the most beautiful things in existence dominates, a quiet area of attentiveness in which the beautiful and truly important reign. We must earnestly desire stillness and be willing to give something for it. Then it will be ours. Once we have experienced it, we will be astounded that we were ever able to live without it. Moreover, stillness must not be superficial, as it is when there is neither speaking nor squirming. Our thoughts, our feelings, our hearts must also find repose. Then genuine stillness permeates us, spreading over deeper through the seemingly plumbless world within. Once we try to achieve such profound stillness, we realize that it cannot be accomplished all at once. The mere desire for it is not enough. We must practice it. The minutes before Holy Mass are best, but in order to have them for genuine preparation, we must arrive early. They are not a time for gazing or for daydreaming or for unnecessary thumbling of pages, but for inwardly collecting and calming ourselves. It would be better still to begin on our way to church. After all, we are going to a sacred celebration. Why not let the way be there as an exercise in composure, a kind of overture to what is to come? I would even suggest that preparation for holy stillness really begins the day before. Liturgically, Saturday evening already belongs to Sunday. If, for instance, after suitable reading, we were to collect ourselves for a brief period of composure, its effects the next day would be evident. Thus far we have discussed stillness negatively. No speech, no sound. But it is much more than the absence of these things, a mere gap, as it were, between words and sounds. Stillness itself is something positive. Of course, we must be able to appreciate it as such. There is sometimes a pause in the midst of a lecture or a service of some public function. Almost invariably, someone promptly coughs or clears his throat. He is experiencing stillness as a breach in the unwinding road of speech and sound, which he attempts to fill with something, anything. For him, the stillness was only a lacuna, a void that gave him a sense of disorder and discomfort. Actually, it is something rich and brimming. Stillness is the tranquility of the inner life, the quiet at the depths of its hidden stream. It is a collected total presence, a being all there, receptive, alert, ready. There is nothing inert or oppressive about it. Attentiveness, that is the clue to the stillness in question, the stillness before God. What then is a church? It is to be sure a building having walls, pillars, space but these express only part of the word church, its shell. When we say that Holy Mass is celebrated in church, we are including something more, the congregation. Congregation, not merely people. Churchgoers arriving, sitting, or kneeling in pews are not necessarily a congregation. They can be simply a room full of more or less pious individuals. Congregation is formed only when these individuals are present not only corporally, but also spiritually when they have contacted one another in prayer and stepped together into the spiritual space around them. Strictly speaking, when they have first widened and heightened that space by prayer, then true congregation comes into being, which, along with the building that is the architectural expression, forms the vital church in which the sacred act is accomplished. All this takes place only in stillness. Out of stillness grows the real sanctuary. It is important to understand this. Church buildings may be lost or destroyed, 
then everything depends on whether the faithful are capable of forming the congregations that erect indestructible churches wherever they happen to find themselves, no matter how poor or dreary their quarters. We must learn and practice the art of constructing spiritual cathedrals. We cannot take stillness too seriously. Not for nothing do these reflections on liturgy open with it. If someone were to ask me what the liturgical life begins with, I should answer with learning stillness. Without it, everything remains superficial, vain. Our understanding of stillness is nothing strange or ascetic. Were we to approach the stillness on the level of ascetics, of mere withdrawal into the ego, we should spoil everything. What we are striving for is something very grave, very important, and unfortunately sorely neglected. The prerequisite of the liturgical holy act. Silence and the Word We have discussed stillness in the presence of God. Only in such stillness, it was contended, can the congregation fundamental to the sacred ritual become into being. Only in stillness can the room in which the Holy Mass is celebrated be exalted into a church. Hence, the beginning of divine service is a creation of stillness. Stillness is intimately related to speech and the word. The word is a thing of mystery, so volatile that it vanishes almost on the lip, yet so powerful that it decides fate and determines the meaning of existence. A frail structure shaped by fleeting sound, it yet contains the eternal, truth. Words come from within, rising as sounds fashioned by the organs of man's body, as expressions of his heart and spirit. He utters them, yet he does not create them, for they already existed independently of him. One word is uttered to another. Together they form the great unity of language, that empire of truth forms in which a man lives. The living word arranges itself, onion-like in various layers. The innermost is that of simple communication, news, or a command. These can be conveyed artificially, as they often are by the printed word or by some sound apparatus that reproduces human speech. The syllables thus produced draw their significance from genuine language, and they answer specific needs as well. But this superficial, often mechanical level of words is not yet true speech, which exists only in proportion to the amount of inner conviction carried out from the speaker to that which is spoken. The more clearly his meaning is embodied in the intelligible sounds, and the more fully his heart is able to express itself, the more truly does his speech become living word. The innermost spirit lives by truth, by its recognition of what is and what has value. Man expresses this truth in words. The more fully he recognizes it, the better his speech and the richer his words. But truth can be recognized only from silence. The constant talker will never, at least rarely, grasp truth. Of course, even if he must experience some truths, otherwise he would not exist. He does notice certain facts, observe certain relations, draw conclusions, and make plans, but he does not yet profess genuine truth, which comes into being only when the essence of an object, the significance of relation, and what is valid and eternal in this world reveals themselves. This requires the spacious freedom and pure receptiveness of that inner, calm, swept room, which silence alone can create. The constant talker knows no such room within himself, hence he cannot know truth. Truth, and consequently the reality of speech, depends upon the speaker's ability to speak and be silent in turn. 
But what of fervor, which lives on emotion and emotion's valuation of the costliness and significance of things? Doesn't fervor flow more abundantly into speech the more immediately the experience behind it? And doesn't that immediacy remain greatest the less one stops to think? That is true, at least for the moment. But it is also true that the person who talks constantly grows empty, and his emptiness is not only momentarily. Feelings that are always promptly poured out in words are soon exhausted. The heart, incapable of storing anything or withdrawing into itself, cannot thrive. Like a field that must constantly produce, it's soon impoverished. Only the word that emerges from silence is substantial and powerful. To be effective, it must first find its way into open speech, although this is not necessarily for some truths. Those inexpressible depths of comprehension of oneself, of others, and of God. For these, the experience but unspoken suffices. For all others, however, the inferior word must become exterior. Just as there exists a perverted variety of speech, talk, there exists also perverted silence, dumbness. Dumbness is just as bad as garrulity, the act of talking too often. It occurs when silence, sealed in the dungeon of a heart that has no outlet, becomes cramped and oppressive. The word breaks open the stronghold. It carries light into the darkness and frees what has been held captive. Speech enables a man to account for himself and the world to overcome both. It indicates his place among others and in history. It liberates. Silence and speech belong together. The one presupposes the other. Together they form a unit in which the vital man exists, and the discovery of that unit's namelessness is strangely beautiful. We do know this. Man's essence is enclosed in the sphere of silence, speech, just as the whole earthly life is enclosed in the light of darkness and day and night. Consequently, even for the sake of speech, we must practice silence. To a large extent, the liturgy consists of words that we address to and receive from God. They must not degrade into mere talk, which is the fate of all words, even the profoundest and holiest, when they are spoken improperly. In the words of the liturgy, the truth of God and of redeemed man is meant to blaze. In them the heart of Christ, in whom the Father's love lives, and the heart of his followers, must find their full expression. Through the liturgical word, our inwardness passes over into the realm of sacred openness, which the congregation and its mystery create before God. Even God's holy mystery, which was entrusted by Christ to his followers when he said, As often as you do these things in memory of me, shall you do them. It is renewed through the medium of human words. All of this must find room in the words of the liturgy. They must be broad and calm and full of inner knowledge, which they are only when the spring from silence. The importance of silence for the sacred celebration cannot be overstated. Silence opens the inner fount from which the word rises. And that once more was Father Romano Guardini, The Stillness and Silence of Mass from Meditations Before Mass. You can find that uh, book at sophiainstitute.com. As well as any place you buy books, you can recommend it at any bookstore. It's twelve ninety five for a handsome little leatherette, nine ninety five for an ebook. You can find it at the Catholic Exchange store, catholicexchange.com. And if you want to read the article before you buy so, I highly recommend that. Then you can decide if this might be a very good way to go about it. 
So, take a look as we enter this Easter season full of joy, full of all the promise of the resurrection and the new life. I want you to encourage you to think about what you'll be doing in Mass for the next few weeks. Try to arrive early. Try not speaking. Try rather to meditate and pray. If you can pray a rosary, that's a helpful way to really get your mind into silence. If not, sit there, reflect upon the Eucharist and what the celebration means. Perhaps you can uh, check out CatholicExchange.com. Every Friday we publish meditations on the different Bible readings we'll be doing on Sunday. Take a look. Uh, read the passages before you go to church. It's a really great way to prepare yourself. And all my friends, a blessed Easter to all of you. Christ is risen. He is among us and he shall never depart. God love you. Once more, this is Michael Litchens of CatholicExchange.com. It's always a pleasure to have you here today. I will look forward to hearing from you all tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.